Welcome to the Ashley and Jessicast. I started this podcast because of my love for Jessica and Ashley Simpson, but due to the support of my amazing listeners, I have been able to expand to other topics as well to feed my pop culture obsession and yours. Join me as we time travel through some of the most interesting figures in music, movies, TV, and beyond. I'm your host, Leah Russo. Hey everybody, welcome back to my series on the one, the only, Lindsay Lohan. This is going to be part three, and today we are talking about one of the most influential and important eras of Lindsay Lohan's career, and honestly one of the important eras of my life. If you're anything like me, you find the movies Freaky Friday and Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen to be pretty seminal. If you haven't tuned in to my first two episodes on Lindsay, please do because this is a whole story dating back to her childhood and the parent trap. I covered that in episode one. In episode two, we dove so deep into every detail of the Hillary versus Lindsay feud. And now we're going to get into what Lindsay was up to from around mid-2002 to early 2004, right before the release of Mean Girls, which of course changed everything. That'll be in the next episode. But before I continue, I want to remind you guys that the Ashley and Jessica cast is on Patreon. It is $5 a month. If you want to subscribe and support me and this podcast, that would be amazing because girl, right now it's 3 a.m. I'm always <laughs> burning the midnight oil and uh, trying to get this podcast out and I love it so, 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 so much. But I appreciate my supporters and my fan community on there so much because I cannot tell you how much I know it's only only $5 a month, but it, it means the world to me and helps so much. And of course, you get such amazing bonus content on there. You get exclusive episodes only for Patreon members. You get all the episodes early, ad-free, and I just love it over there. So I have to give a special thank you to all of my Patreon subscribers and those of you who are not. I am just happy you are here. So let's get into one of my favorite movies, Freaky Friday. This is one of those movies that is just so insanely good. It's kind of freaky. And yeah, I know that was a terrible pun, but seriously, it's it's kind of freaky how perfect this movie is and how beautifully it came out. It was really important to Lindsay's career because as we talked about, after The Parent Trap, she and her parents both agreed they wanted a more normal life for the family and so she just did a couple of Disney Channel original movies just to kind of stay with acting a little bit, but she really wasn't doing much in the industry. We very easily, instead of talking about her right now, could be saying, oh, remember that cute kid from The Parent Trap? Whatever happened to her? But instead, Freaky Friday really ended up cementing Lindsay as a Hollywood 
icon, which I know sounds dramatic, but it was really true because a lot of people do have one hit wonders when it comes to their movies. I mean, you can probably think of a lot of actors and celebrities that you know from one really, really big movie and they just never really were able to replicate that success afterward. Freaky Friday was absolutely perfect for Lindsay to come back with at this time because it was very similar to The Parent Trap. It was almost the exact same formula being that it was a modernized remake of a hit Disney classic and Lindsay got to kind of elevate up a level playing another dual role because this time I think it was probably a little bit more difficult. Instead of playing two twin sisters with different personalities, she had to play a teenager, probably kind of similar to who she was at the time, and that teenager's mother, who obviously had a very different personality than their daughter. I truly think that this movie could never have been what it was without Lindsay and Jamie Lee Curtis's outstanding performances. They both deserved Oscar nominations. I do not care what anybody says. Yeah, okay, this movie wasn't The English Patient. I'm sorry, it's not one of those stuffy Oscar movies that always gets nominated. But what they do in this movie is the epitome of what you want to do as an actor. This movie is so wholly satisfying to watch and it is so rewatchable. I have revisited this movie through every single stage of my life and it makes me burst out laughing every single time and it makes me cry every single time as well. So in July 2002, Lindsay was celebrating her 16th birthday while also celebrating the fact that Disney had contacted her about starring in Freaky Friday. They wanted her to come and audition because obviously she was kind of a shoo-in for this part. They loved the success that she had brought their studio and their network, and they knew that she could handle a dual role like she had already done in The Parent Trap. Lindsay had just had the Disney Channel original movie Get a Clue come out and she definitely was feeling ready to get back to the big time with a movie that was on the same level as The Parent Trap. She was seeing her peers start to do more work in the business and she actually told Entertainment Weekly that she was bored just going to school. She said, I remembered what it was like working on movies. I kind of missed it and I decided I wanted to do this again. So I went in for Freaky Friday, which I didn't even want to do the first time I read it. But then they rewrote the script and I really liked it. So they had originally wanted Lindsay's role of Anna Coleman to be a goth chick and Lindsay had the idea to change it up a little bit. So she said, no one could really relate to the character when she was goth. There was nothing there. I dressed really preppy for the audition. I wore a collared turquoise Abercrombie and Fitch shirt and khaki pants, swear to God, with a white headband. And my hair was really straight and pretty and red and blonde. My agent calls and was like, what are you doing? <laughs> the studio ended up rewriting the character entirely. So they didn't go with the preppy look for Anna, but I love her look in the movie. And I love her characterization as being a little bit more alternative and a punk rock wannabe or not even really a wannabe because she literally rocks and her band is amazing. I mean, that song, Take Me Away, 
Are you kidding? That is one of the best songs of the 2000s period. Like that song never fails to get me hype. And every single time I watch this movie, it gets stuck in my head and I end up playing it a million times. And Lindsay completely sold the entire thing. I love her kind of messy, greasy hair, which Lindsay actually said they put wax in her hair because how does your hair get greasy? You have to not shower. And I guess that they they didn't want to tell Lindsay not to shower. So they put wax in her hair, which is why at times it just looks so sticky and like permanently punkish, you know what I mean? I love her style and all the clothes that she wears. It completely paints a picture of her character. And actually wardrobe and hair and makeup is a really important element of this movie, right? Because obviously these women are living as each other. And there's this YouTuber, her name is Mariah Forbes. She did a Freaky Friday analysis video and she also has a great one on confessions of a teenage drama queen and she has some other ones um, from this era that I haven't watched yet but I really recommend her analysis because she analyzes from the lens of fashion she must be a fashion designer or something like that because it's very insightful so I definitely recommend that but if you just think about all the different looks in the movie you know from Jamie Lee's awesome velvet dress that her daughter buys when she's in her body to the guitar t-shirt that Anna puts back on inside out after she sees one of her classmates wearing the same shirt. I always thought that was funny and kind of creative how she's like, uh, this is cool, right? It's like a style. And her friends are like, mm, no, girl. After they changed the script, Lindsay felt like it would be the perfect movie for her to come back with. She admitted to IGM Film Force that when she did The Parent Trap, she was actually really thrown off by the whole fame thing but with a movie like Freaky Friday that was this good it was the perfect opportunity for her to reintroduce herself into that world and as I said it it really was I can't think of a better break for Lindsay because yes her big break was the parent trap but it's almost like she had three big breaks in my opinion like the Parent Trap was the first one, obviously. Then Freaky Friday, as I said, kind of cemented her as a formidable Hollywood actress, somebody who's bankable, somebody who is definitely a force to be reckoned with. And then I think Mean Girls was her third big break because it was like a step up. It was a little more edgy. It wasn't a Disney movie. It was about real teenage life without that like glimmer of cutesiness. Sure, it has some cheesy moments, but for the most part, it's more adult and I think that was really 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 important to transition Lindsay into more mature roles and into the next phase of her career. Lindsay was one of the first people cast and then they began to grow the cast around her. Annette Benning was actually originally supposed to play the Jamie Lee Curtis role which is fascinating to me. She had a last minute emergency and four days before they started filming, she had to drop out and they brought Jamie Lee Curtis in. She actually said that it benefited her in the long run having such short notice to prepare for the performance because she was less inhibited and less in her head about the fact that this was a huge starring role in a huge Disney movie. I was on a book tour. I write books for children. And I got a call from my agent saying, this movie is going a Disney and they have asked if you will be in it. It was a Thursday. They sent me the script. I read it on the plane. I met the director on Saturday. I had my hair dyed red on Sunday, and I was shooting on Monday. 
So the beauty of that movie is that I just jumped into it with absolutely zero prep on any level. And it's a weird movie because you alternately are playing a 15-year-old and a 45-year-old. There are often days where I was both. Because I had no time, I had the complete freedom to just go, okay, you know, whatever. Whatever's gonna happen is gonna happen. I think that that probably contributed to her performance being so amazing because she said that she didn't really have time to think about anything. She said that she had two kids and she was much more concerned about, oh my gosh, you know, my husband didn't even know about this. He's also in the entertainment industry. And now I'm just going to be working all these long days. Are my kids going to be okay? Is my husband going to be okay? You know, she felt really stressed about it. And one of the really convenient things is that the house that they filmed at, the exteriors, was actually so close to her home that whenever they filmed the outside of that house, she could actually like walk back home and like do anything that she needed to do because if anyone doesn't know there's so much downtime on a movie set so sometimes you're literally just sitting there for a couple of hours and you might even be able to like run home when they are setting up lighting or something like that I mean she said that that to her was again no pun intended but really freaky in the way that it all worked out and so she just kind of threw herself into the filming without thinking much about what she was doing. Kelly Osborne was originally supposed to play the character of Maddie, who ended up being played by Christina Vidal, who was Taina on Nickelodeon. Does anyone remember that show? I am fascinated by the fact that this was supposed to be Kelly Osborne. Unfortunately, her mother Sharon was diagnosed with cancer and that's why Kelly decided to turn down the role because she wanted to be there for her mother. And what, you know, what a noble, beautiful thing to do. I would have done the exact same thing. I feel bad for Kelly Osborne though, because this would have been a huge, huge opportunity for her to showcase her voice and maybe start a movie career. I mean, it's really sad, but I think Christina Vidal did an amazing job. I love her voice. It just literally wouldn't have been the same without her but I just don't think Kelly Osborne would have done as great of a job I'm sorry I just don't see her having the same kind of charisma and I love the chemistry that the friends had together the three girls it was a lot better that Lindsay's friends in this movie were not huge stars because I just feel like Kelly Osborne it's kind of like stunt casting and I just think it would have been distracting and would have taken away from the overall realism of the movie now Tom Selleck was actually supposed to play Ryan, the incoming stepdad, but he left when Annette Benning left, which I think is crazy. I mean, I understand it because Annette Benning is a phenomenal actress, and honestly, I would have loved to see how she would have interpreted this role. Of course, I don't think anyone could have been as iconic as Jamie Lee in it, but um, I think it's funny that Tom Selleck was like, oh, Jamie Lee Curtis isn't good enough. You know, I mean, who knows if that's even true? I read it on the Wikipedia page. I don't know, but it was a very poor decision because this could have been a really big moment for Tom Selleck. I mean, you don't really see him in movies anymore. This was a big opportunity, and unfortunately, he kind of blew it. Obviously, everything happens for a reason, and the casting worked out perfectly. Jamie Lee Curtis honestly had not had a hit movie in a while. I mean, I grew up with her being 
everywhere. Like I was addicted to the movie channels when I was a little kid, way, way, way too young to be on all the HBOs and stars and stuff like that. But I always was. And she was one of those actresses that was just always showing up on screen, whether it be the Halloween franchise or True Lies, A Fish Called Wanda, My Girl. I mean, I just thought of her as so iconic. But if you look at her career around this time, outside of Halloween, she hadn't had a hit in like almost 10 years. So I think there's a lot of actors that are like known for one franchise and that's their big thing. And she had definitely made a name for herself in other films, but it had been a really long time since she had starred in anything that really set her apart and created buzz around her as an actress in general outside of just being Laurie Strode, her character in Halloween. So I think that this role really contributes to Jamie Lee's legacy and relevancy today. I honestly just don't think that she would be as big of a star without this role. She's just so well known for this and it contrasts so perfectly with the other thing she's most known for, which is Halloween. You know, this horrific, dramatic role where she's constantly screaming and crying and running and being fierce and fighting. This is a completely different type of challenge for her as an actress and she just really shows her talent so 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 heavily in this movie she's absolutely phenomenal and makes me laugh so much I actually wish that she would do more comedies because I just think she's absolutely hysterical I think she would be great on like a sitcom I would totally watch that or maybe like an HBO kind of like sardonic edgy comedic show I mean she just in this movie with every look that she gives every movement of her body it is such a full commitment to character and Jamie Lee actually revealed in one of those career retrospective interviews on YouTube where they go through someone's career movie after movie and they make comments on what it was like during that era Jamie actually said that when she was filming the scene where she has to suddenly go on a talk show and of course she's really the daughter inside her body so she's written this book but she doesn't know what it's about. It's called Senescence in Retrograde and she's like, uh, my publisher doesn't think anyone's going to know what senescence means. Do you know what it means? Like all those scenes are so funny and of course when she slays the interview and makes everybody cheer and laugh and it's like, oh, she, you know, she's crowd surfing. Of course this is a scene that needs to be played very broadly and apparently the editor was telling her like, I think you need to pare down this performance a little bit because it's just, it's, it's too much. I just remember asking the grips if they could put some baby powder so that my feet would slide. And then I remember the director the next day coming to me and saying, you know, the editor is wondering if we need to bring you down. He was thinking it's a little too big. And I remember Mark Waters, who's a terrific guy, I remember saying to him, look, Mark, this is your movie, not mine. I only heard about it six days ago. This is what I'm naturally gonna do for you. Like, this makes sense to me. I have no problem at all being 15. I am 15. Uh, this is just what I'm going to deliver for you. And it's your job to sort of tone it. But this is what I'm going to do. It's the only way I'm going to do it. If I'm thinking about this for one day, it's over. It'll be horrible. So either find somebody else and just let me go home, or I'm going to do what I do. He was like, no, 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 no. And you know what? It turned out to be this amazing, amazing, amazing experience for me creatively. 
how much do you love that? How much do you love that she was just like, yeah, I'm sorry, this is what I'm going to do. <laughs> She's just like, this is what I'm going to do. If you don't like it, then send me home. But I'm like, I'm doing this. I love that she dug her heels in like that and refused to get too in her head about the character. Because look at the absolutely unforgettable performance that she ended up turning in. You know, she was right. And sometimes I think it's really hard for actors to stand up for themselves like that. But she had the confidence. And I just want to say, Jamie Lee Curtis is one of my favorite people ever. Like, I don't mean favorite actors. She's just one of my favorite people. I don't know if you guys have ever watched her interviews or, or read them, but she is one of the most passionate people I've ever seen in my life. I love the way she talks about her life with such honesty because she came from Hollywood royalty, Janet Lee and Tony Curtis, and she grew up in this industry. And I love how honest she is about getting Halloween, which was her big break. And she was just like, yeah, I, I think that um, they picked me because I was Tony Curtis's daughter <laughs> you know what I mean she's like she's like if it's between me and another girl and I'm Janet Lee and Tony Curtis's daughter then they're gonna pick me obviously like I love how she was honest about that because I cannot stand when daughters of celebrities are like oh no sometimes it's actually harder and and not just daughters sons too sometimes it's actually harder when your parents are famous no it's not no, it's not as someone who doesn't have famous parents and is an actor in the industry no it's not trust me so I love that she's honest about that and she's also honest about her fame, you know, whereas a lot of people try to underscore their fame or dial it down for interviews. She just keeps it so real and she's like, look, I'm not going to complain about my fame because every day I walk outside and somebody comes up to me at some point with a gigantic smile on their face and says, oh my God, you are so wonderful. I love your movies. You're so great. I can't believe I'm meeting you. And it's like, why aren't more celebrities honest about that kind of thing? You know, it's like they try to be so modest, but it's not a modest profession, right? And people will ask her, well, is it hard, you know, being known as the actress from Halloween? And did you ever want to break out of that? And she's like, why would I not want to be beloved? Why would I not want to be consistently praised for something that I did when I was a teenager? Who wouldn't want to do something that remains relevant for decades? No matter what you do, you just can't kill the thing. And I love that. She's just so refreshingly honest. She's so passionate about everything that she does. She doesn't seem to do any projects that she doesn't want to do. It's so refreshing. She's truly like a one-of-a-kind person and one-of-a-kind celebrity. No bullshit. She's also honest about her struggle with addiction and sobriety. She was also super honest when she did that photo shoot with no filters no photoshopping and this was years before people were on tiktok saying like this is what i really look like no filter blah 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 like nobody was doing that everybody was getting airbrushed and she was just like this is bullshit and this is a lie and i'm gonna show what i really looked like and you know what she looked great did she look like a victoria's secret model no, but who cares? That's not what she was trying to be anyway. Like she's Jamie Lee Curtis. She doesn't need to be anybody other than who she is. And I just love that. Let's talk about for a minute the Jamie Lee Curtis and Lindsay Lohan friendship that was born on the set of this movie and has continued to this day, which I think is such a beautiful thing. Jamie Lee and Lindsay became really close during 
during filming and during the promotion of the movie, Jamie was constantly praising Lindsay and that has continued during every press tour that she has done ever since. It seems like at some point she's always asked about Lindsay and she consistently has spoken so nicely about her and defended her when everybody was talking crap about her. You can tell it's a genuine friendship and I just love that. So during the promotion of the movie, Jamie Lee was asked, how do you feel about seeing this young woman rise in the business with Lindsay Lohan? She seems really phenomenal. Jamie said, she is phenomenal. You know, when I saw the parent trap, I thought they were two girls. I thought they were twins. When they told me I was doing a movie with this girl, I said, which one? Did she play the English girl or the American girl? So I think she's incredible. She was great fun. We got thrown together and it's one of those things where you have an instant bond or you don't. And we did. We had it from the moment we met. You can't describe that chemistry. My favorite time with Lindsay was when we were sitting in the car doing the French fry driving scene, which was shot on a green screen. So we were stuck in the car for about six hours on a soundstage. We were locked in there. Unless we wanted to use the restroom, then we had to climb out the window. We were listening to the Justin Timberlake CD trying to learn the rap. We literally had a pad. We'd go back and forth until we both knew, and then we'd say it to each other really fast, the way you do with a girlfriend. And then it says in parentheses, Jamie starts rapping in a whisper that's hard to make out. She does this for a long time. Now, that is the Justin Timberlake song, Like I Love You, with the rap by Clips. Jamie Lee was actually on the Ellen DeGeneres show later that year and was rapping to that song and dancing with Ellen. And she has since told that story many, many times about how she and Lindsay really bonded over trying to learn every word of the rap. And as recently as 2021, when Jamie was on a press tour for her latest Halloween installment, Halloween Kills, she said that she and Lindsay have a secret code with each other when they text each other, I guess if they're using a new number or something, and that it has to do with that day when they were lip syncing in the car together. So it's just nice to know that they still talk. Also in 2021, Jamie Lee said, I want to remind you, Lindsay was 15, a young 15-year-old who was really talented. The combination of talent and teen is beautiful and challenging for anybody. She was delightful. She also said they had a wonderful time together on set and that she continues to still be a big champion for her because I think she's remarkable. In 2010, Lindsay was going through all kinds of struggles and Jamie talked to Access Hollywood and said... Lindsay was 15 years old when I met her. She still had a guardian who was on set at all times and she was just terrific. She was a terrific young talent because I guess that she had been asked by this guy like, well, was there any signs of trouble on the set of Freaky Friday? And Jamie Lee was like, no. She was asked about Lindsay's mistakes that have been exacerbated by the ever-present paparazzi and Jamie said, I think that it is a little bit of the nature of the media and I think she's probably made some wrong moves. I only have compassion for her and I certainly know that I wouldn't be able to handle the media blitz that she is involved with. If TMZ had existed when I was 19, I dare say there are many, many people who we think as a stalwart, good choice making adults who if a camera had been on them when they were 17, 18, 19, going to clubs in Hollywood and then taking their picture coming out at three in the morning, she grimaced. So she's basically saying, give it a rest. You know, imagine if your worst moments or craziest moments were documented for the world to see. She finished by saying, you have to understand she's going to learn some lessons as we all have by making mistakes. Anytime that you have the kind of consequences dealt to you the way that Lindsay has, one would hope that you could learn from them. 
In 2016, Donald Trump was running for president and a clip of him on Howard Stern resurfaced in which he spoke about Lindsay Lohan, who was 17 at the time of these comments, and said that she's probably deeply troubled and therefore great in bed. How come the deeply troubled women, you know, deeply, deeply troubled, they're always the best in bed? Now, Howard Stern was equally vile in this conversation, and I do want to be fair by saying that because I've said many times on this podcast, I really enjoy Howard Stern, I'm a fan of his, but I completely acknowledge that back in the day, he was horrendous toward women, and that is not okay, and I'm very happy that he has apologized and has changed his ways. Donald Trump, however, has not really changed his ways, as we know. There are many statements like this that he's made about women, and much worse, and this is not a political statement at all. This is has nothing to do with Republican and Democrat. I'm just speaking about a, what, how old was he at the time? 60 when he made these comments, and he's talking about a 17-year-old girl, and that's disgusting. So in 2016, as he was running for president, Jamie Lee Curtis was asked about these comments, she said, how dare anyone, let alone a man in that position, make comments like that when clearly she was having difficulties in her life. She's doing beautiful relief work with children in Syria. She's in Athens right now. She is doing very well. I'm sorry that we all had to hear that. And then again, maybe it was helpful that we all had to hear it. I bring this up only to illuminate once again the powerful, supportive friendship that these women have and how important it is to lift up women who are in your industry and not in your industry, but especially, you know, this business can be really competitive and people also turn their backs on you fairly easily when you're not in the spotlight. And I just really love this consistent record of how much Jamie Lee has stood up for Lindsay, both publicly and according to Lindsay, privately as well. Speaking of Howard Stern, Lindsay did her own Howard Stern appearance in 2019. Thankfully, this is in the era where he's been a lot more respectful of women, so it wasn't a disgusting interview. She spoke about the support from Jamie Lee and the advice given to her early on in their friendship when she tried to encourage Lindsay to let go of all the hangers-on in the business and find the real ones. Jamie Lee Curtis was kind to you in your career, I right? I love her. You can call her up and say, listen, I'm in trouble or I'm... Just that way, I just want to talk to you. Just How are you? Talk. We just check in, yeah. Oh, no kidding. That's yeah. nice. Yeah. I was always wondering, could you make any really close friends in show business? Or is everyone just like, hey, what did your last movie do? And that's how we evaluate the relationship. Oh, no, we keep in touch. Didn't she tell you to get rid of all the hangers on? Wasn't that like when you guys did yeah, Freaky Friday? Yeah, she was Friday? right. She was right. Because, I, I, you know, sometimes you just end up having people around when you're younger in this industry just to, to have people there. Because right. you're always around people and then it gets, can get very lonely. Were you lonely? Even though you were surrounded by people? Yeah, I think so. Right. Because they, all the other people didn't realize that. I didn't want to go out all the time. I didn't want to be seen all the time. But it was like the only time I did want to was when they were around. Right. And that's not a real friend. No. You have good friends now? Yeah. So let's get into the production of Freaky Friday, which happened in the fall of 2002. There's actually a very cute little featurette on YouTube that was also on the Freaky Friday DVD back in the day of Lindsay on the set and some of their shooting days. <laughs> Hang out with me on the set and see what it was really like to make Freaky Friday. Good morning. 
<laughs> Welcome to my trailer. This is my trailer. <laughs> Lindsay's been destroying, man, which is which is a good thing. <laughs> and, and she's been destroying in this movie. To have, you know, an actress who can be capable of kind of playing these dual roles, and she's been, you know, seamless and kind of moving back and forth between the mom and the teenager, just been completely impressive. In this scene, I am playing Tess, and I'm gonna go yell at my son, Harry. It's what rolling! I'm doing in this scene. Rolling, rolling, rolling. It can't really work. Set, ready, and action. She dished us in the studio. Harry, get down on the table this instant. I'm imitating mom. You shouldn't have seen her today. She was so cool. Please go watch it. I'm going to include some clips, but she's just so young and fresh-faced and happy and clearly doing what she wants to do in life, getting to be on set. And it just seems like it's so much fun. And even though, yes, it is work, she just seems so happy. And it's just lovely to see her in that place, knowing that she was about to have some very stressful, shall we say, years coming up. During the press tour, Lindsay was asked what her favorite thing about making this movie was. Being able to play in a band. Mm -hmm. I think that was so much fun for me. That's like a lot of girls' dreams at my age, to be in a band and play guitar and stuff like that. And to, of course, to like play with Chad Michael Murray, to be able to act with him. So many girls have crushes on him. And, uh, but for me personally, I loved being able to play the adult. It was, um, it was more fun for me to play Anna in a lot of ways because I didn't have to dress like an adult and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And it wasn't as much pressure, but um, yeah, it was just a great challenge for me. And I had a lot of fun doing it. The director of the film is Mark Waters, who would also go on to direct Lindsay in Mean Girls, which makes him kind of iconic. He really wanted this movie to have a certain realism about it, which seems very ambitious, right? Because obviously it's a very fantastical plot. If you need a refresher, basically it's the classic body switching story. There's a mother and daughter, they fight a lot, they don't understand each other, they're butting heads constantly, and through a magic spell, they end up waking up the next morning in each other's bodies, causing them to walk a mile in each other's shoes and see, oh wow, life is actually really difficult for my mom or for my daughter. And I had no idea what it took to be that person. And now I'm going to give her a much less hard time <laughs> with all the things that she has to deal with. And it just strengthens their relationship. And I actually think it's such a valuable lesson. And it's something that I always think about every time I butt heads with somebody myself. I just think, well, you know, from their perspective, why are they treating me like this? You know, are they just evil? Probably not. They probably, <laughs> from their point of view it probably makes sense for them to be rude to me right now and why is this happening and I need to consider that I don't know what's going on in this person's life. Mark said I wanted to deal with things in a very real way and make sure this felt like a real mother and daughter going through real issues and it truly did. I think that this film has the perfect balance of like zany gags and really silly plot devices and actual serious emotionally grounding moments and as I've said before I think that the performances were absolutely vital to make that all work and because of the dedication of Lindsay and Jamie Lee Curtis and the rest of the cast 
they were able to pull off that balance of silly and serious pretty seamlessly. In a 2003 interview to promote the film, Lindsay talked about Mark Waters' idea to shoot footage of her and Jamie reading the opposite person's dialogue to help them prepare for their scenes. So basically, if Lindsay had to read lines as her mother and perform as a 40-something-year-old woman in her daughter's body, Mark gave her something to go off of by having Jamie Lee perform those lines first and filming that so Lindsay could get an idea of how Jamie would act and sound and move and speak reading those lines and vice versa. That way they really got a sense of how the other person was portraying the roles so that they could get it as close as possible. Lindsay said, I think that was a great idea on Mark Waters' part. We sat in a room, Jamie and I, and she read the whole script as she would have read it as if there was no changing. It was really great to watch it back. She went on to say, when we spent more time with each other as the characters, I kind of became my character throughout the movie, Anna. So then when I was Jamie, it was completely different. And the wardrobe helps a lot. I mean, when you see a mother in fishnets and a mini schoolgirl type outfit and a guitar, it's gonna help. One of the things that Jamie Lee said she had to get some lessons from Lindsay on was how to effectively say the term, shut up, which became popular around that time. And I don't think it's said as much today but of course back in the day if you told somebody to shut up that was like a negative thing you know if maybe they were being annoying and you're like oh shut up you know but in the early 2000s it kind of switched over into this thing that you would say if you were really surprised in a good or bad way Jamie Lee was not used to that kind of lingo so she had to get Lindsay's insight on that you know, she had to give me like shut up tutorial because it's a very specific way, and I I just couldn't get the intonation correct. So it, could you do? Can you do that like now though? Well, give me a give me a circumstance. Is it a positive or negative? Uh, I, I, well, how about give a positive a, one? Well, give me a story. Uh, guess what? I went to see this movie, and it was better than the original. Shut up. Uh, that was the. Okay. There's no way. There's a, okay. no way. That's there's uh, no way. Now come up with something where something really good happens. My dad bought me a car. Shut up! <laughs> so I had mentioned in a previous episode how Lindsay was trying to build a singing career as early as 2002 before she started filming Freaky Friday. She was working with Emilio Estevan, creating some demos that were being shopped around to record labels, and she really wanted to start incorporating her singing and dancing into her films. So she was looking for a role like this where she could show off her talents as a singer as well as acting and she actually was kind of upset that she wasn't going to be playing the lead singer of the band. Of course that character is played by Christina Vidal so that's why they ended up adding in the song Ultimate for her to perform at the end and I have to say I love this song. I think it was probably the first time we all heard Lindsay 
really sing, right? And it's such a fun, upbeat song. I still listen to it relatively often. I think it was the perfect little debut for her because it wasn't the main focus of the movie. I actually think that it was really smart that they didn't just give that to her because she wanted it. I think that would have been a little too distracting to have her character be the lead singer of the band on top of going through everything that she went through in the movie. And having Christina Vidal take on that role, I think that was smart because it wasn't distracting from the main plot of the movie. And then it was kind of a win-win situation because Lindsay still got to do her big performance at the end. Lindsay's character is, of course, the guitarist in the band. She actually learned how to play guitar for the movie. She said, I wanted to learn, but it's like you say you're going to pick up a guitar and take lessons and then you never do. You have to really focus on it. I have a tendency to pick up on things really easily once I concentrate and really put my mind to it. Once I started learning, it was really fun to sit there with a guitar and start writing. So she was writing lyrics in her journal and experimenting playing the guitar and trying to write on it during the making of this movie and also before when she was trying to learn the guitar and prep for her role as Anna. So she really was working on Speak before she even knew what Speak was going to be two years before it even came out. She said, I'm not going to say I'm able to play, but I played it in the movie because I learned just the chords and I learned the solo. I wasn't going to fake it. That's really frustrating for me to be playing something and just be faking it and hear that. I'm like, no, I want to play that exactly. If I listen to the song, I can pick up on the notes. I'm getting there and hopefully I'll get there eventually. She also said her musical aspirations became greater while doing the movie. She said, I've always had a desire to sing and dance. In this movie, I didn't get to dance at all. They said, no, she can't dance. It's not in the character. She can't be sexy at all. So you can see how Lindsay was really pushing them, I think, especially in the pre-production, but maybe during the production too, that she wanted this role to be more of like an overall singing, dancing, acting performance for her and not just an acting performance. But as I said, I'm really glad they pushed back on that because I think the way that the movie turned out was kind of perfect. While promoting the movie, Lindsay talked to AskJimmyCarter.com about her musical aspirations for the next couple of years. Yeah, I really want to follow up on my music career. I think I want to wait a little while because there's a lot of people coming out and I just think I need to wait for the right time. I think if... If, if you can do it, why not do it, you know what I mean? If you're capable of it, there's no reason not to. What are your dreams musically? What do you want to do? You want to get, have the big show, the big, you know, Britney Spears extravaganza out there? Yeah. Or you want to be something small or what? I, I want to write a lot of my stuff. And uh, I, I also want to be a performer, though, because I love to dance. And um, I think with the audience that I've had from younger kids, I think they'd love to see a big show for if I'm singing and stuff like that. So we'll see. We'll see when I come out and how people will grow with me. Freaky Friday was released on August 6, 2003. It had a budget of $26 million and the box office ended up being $160.8 million. So you're in my body and I'm in your body. I'm old. I beg your pardon. Oh, I'm like the Crypt Keeper. Honey, I just like chill for a sec. Tomorrow. I can't marry Ryan! Ew! Platinum cool. Don't even think about it. Jamie Lee Curtis. This song is killing me. <laughs> Lindsay Lohan. Great bike. What? Not like I've ever been on it. I'm not allowed. 
Walt Disney Pictures presents a movie about what it takes. I can't do this. What do you mean? To make someone else's dream come true. And what you see is what you lack. And selfless love will change your back. It did so well, and Disney was so pleased with Lindsay Lohan that she received a $1 million bonus check from the studio on top of what she had already been paid for the movie. So that's pretty huge, but it really was a tactic for Disney to kind of keep Lindsay under their reins for a while, which was successful because she did two more movies with them, Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen and Herbie Fully Loaded. That's very smart, you know? They saw the success that this young girl brought them and the box office gold that she was at the time, and they wanted her to pick their movies over a different studios. It was kind of like the least that they could do. Like, think about how much money Disney has in general and how much money they made from this movie and from the parent trap and the Disney Channel original movies that she did, I feel like it only makes sense that they would compensate her extra just to be like, hey, Lindsay, look how good it is over here at Disney. Please don't go to Paramount. Please don't go to 20th Century Fox. Please don't go to New Line. Stay with us where you get $1 million bonus checks. When asked if comedy was her comfort zone, Lindsay Lohan told MovieWeb, I think right now my audience is younger, and that's what younger kids will expect. They want to see things that are fun and uplifting, romantic comedies, things like that. I do want to branch off and show people that I can do more than just comedy. She also told that Ask Jimmy Carter website that she was thinking about doing a psychological thriller next, which obviously did not happen. The movies that she did right after this were comedies as well. But I wonder if she was talking about I Know Who Killed Me. That was a few years off, but I wonder if that script was floating around or maybe there were some other scripts that Lindsay couldn't get her hands on, but she wanted to get her hands on. Lindsay spoke about one of her favorite elements of the movie, which was the relationship between Anna and her little brother. There's this really sweet scene in the movie where Anna in her mother's body goes to the little brother's school for a parent-teacher conference and finds out how much he actually loves his little sister. And Lindsay said, when I watched that scene, I was like, oh, that's totally like my little sister and I. She wants to do whatever I do. My little sister, she idolizes me. I don't see that because she's my little sister. She wants to do everything I do. And I'm like, will you just get out of my face? But then there are times when I see her watching me out of the corner of my eye and I'm just like, sigh. She actually did something like my little brother does in the movie where he writes about his sister and how he admires her. My little sister did that once. She did a biography on me for school and I read it. Then I came into school and she was so happy. Imagine Lindsay Lohan being your older sister and coming in for show and tell. Iconic. I think it's really important that older sisters do take the time. I see her getting older and she's going to hate me. She's going to be my age and she'll want nothing to do with me. She'll be the biggest brat. She'll be like me and it will totally scare me. So I'm trying to take the time to get along with her more now. I'm like, let's go see a movie and stuff like that. I think it's really nice that Lindsay, even being at the young age that she was, was able to make that connection with her own sister because... I think especially in 
a family like hers that has a lot of turmoil, it's really important to band together with your siblings. And nowadays, all these years later, Lindsay Lohan lives in Dubai. And as far as I know, her sister lives with her. I'm not sure if she lives with her all year round, but I do know that during the pandemic, they were actually quarantined together in Dubai. So I love that they have such a close relationship and they've been able to remain so close and not let fame tear them apart and all of the other things that have happened in their family hasn't caused a rift. So MovieWeb also brought up that this is Lindsay's second double identity role and they asked which one was tougher, Freaky Friday or The Parent Trap? And she said, with The Parent Trap, I was younger. I didn't consider it two roles. It wasn't as serious to me. It was just more fun. I think maybe Parent Trap because I had that accent. Well, actually, no. This one is probably more difficult because I'm older now. People are going to take me more seriously. I really do have to focus on making the characters different. And Anna's different from me to begin with. So this is definitely more difficult for me. I don't like to think of things as difficult. If I'm going to do a movie and it's going to be really difficult for me, then it might not be the right thing to do. I think that Jamie and I have so much in common, it was easier for me to pick up little things that she does and use that in the role. So I found this quote really interesting because she's like 17, I think, when she's promoting this movie. So she's already kind of realizing the pressure that's on her and the eyes that are on her having done so well as a child actor. It's like now you're getting older and people are going to be taking you more seriously and looking at you and see can you perform outside of that little kid range? Can you actually be a real actress? And she's saying... I don't want to take on anything that's super, super difficult yet. I still want to stay in my lane with the family and kid movies and do what I know I'm good at, and then I'm going to graduate out of that. Very smart. Freaky Friday received mostly positive reviews from critics. As it stands today, it has an 88% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is pretty damn good, especially for... A movie that is essentially a kid's movie or like a preteen movie. I will never forget going to see it in the theater with my friend Gina. You guys know her from the Scream episodes that we did together. Her sister took us to the Galleria to see it. And then months later, I remember we were in my room. We were like trying to figure out what to do. And we had talked about Freaky Friday so much. So my mom knew how much we loved it. And she brought home the tape for Gina because it was like Gina's favorite movie at the time. And my mom is just an angel and would do things like that. And we watched it. We were so excited that we got to see it again because, you know, leaks didn't really happen back then or we didn't have access to any like bootleg movies or anything like that. So, you know, when a movie was out of theaters, you had to really wait to see it. You know, it was like months went by. So it was so exciting. We watched the movie and then I remember us kind of sitting there and being like, Oh, well, what what should we do next? Um, I don't know. We could go outside or we could uh, go make some food or I don't know. We could watch Crossroads or we could watch Holes again. Um, do you just want to watch Freaky Friday again? Yes. <laughs> it was like we were both trying to hide the fact that we just literally wanted to start Freaky Friday again right from the beginning because we thought that was kind of nerdy, I guess. But we both just burst out with it and it was like, yes, we just want to watch Freaky Friday again. Let's do it. My other best friend, Jess, and I were in Boston and we ended up getting attacked 
on the street. Thank God we were in my car at the time, so we were able to like lock the doors. But um, this guy slashed my tire right in front of us. It was horrific. It was one of the scariest things I've ever experienced. And it was a bummer because it was Jess's first time in Boston and we really wanted to like go out and have fun. But I was panicked. I was, I had so much anxiety about my car and like I was just, I have never been attacked like that before. So like I was really nervous even being on the street at all. Like I didn't want to go anywhere. I didn't want to go out. And we had walked by a bakery with these like delicious looking cake slices in the window. And Jess finally said, you know what, let's just get some cake and go back to the room and we can like watch a movie or something. And we decided on Freaky Friday because it's such a comfort movie to us that that was the only thing that would help in that moment. Like we weren't messing around at this point. We had just gone through a really traumatic, scary experience and we needed to bring out the big guns. We needed Lindsay. <laughs> you know what I mean? We needed our girl Lindsay and Freaky Friday to cheer us up. And I'll never forget laying in the hotel bed, eating my cake, laughing out loud with one of my best friends watching Freaky Friday, kind of decompressing from this crazy experience and I share these personal stories because I think that this is the reason why I'm even doing an in-depth look into Lindsay Lohan's life because for some of us movies and, and actors they're more than just entertainment they become embedded into the fabric of our lives and this is definitely one of those movies for me and like I said with the parent trap you know this will be one of the first movies that I show my kids I think it is an incredible incredible examination of what it's like to be a teenage girl and it's one of the most empathetic movies I think I've ever seen. It really explores the mother-daughter relationship in a serious way while also being this really zany, funny comedy, like genuinely laugh out loud funny, like not cutesy funny or like, oh, haha, I get it. But I've seen this movie probably 50 times. I still burst out laughing at certain points because their performances are just so good and so convincing. And when I say I cry every time, that's true too. I think that the way that they grow to understand each other is really really beautiful because they are dealing with deep trauma you know with the death of Anna's father happening I guess fairly recently before this new development in their life happened which is her mother meeting somebody new Ryan played by Mark Harmon they're already getting married it's moving really quickly and you really do see both sides of the argument you can completely see how Tess, Anna's mother, is really, really concerned about her because she is getting detentions and she is getting an F and she is complaining about how this girl is a bully at school, but her mother has only known her as a sweet girl. So she's like, what is all of this drama going on, you know? And then Anna's character is like, you don't understand me. Why don't you care enough about my band? Why are you already getting married? Dad just passed away a couple years ago. How can you get over it so quickly? And oh, at the end of the movie, when they have that moment where they realize that they're not going to switch back anytime soon, Tess's wedding is happening the next day. And obviously her daughter and her body cannot marry her fiance and have a wedding night, ew. And so they're just like, okay, we just need to postpone this wedding. Their performances kill me every single time. They are so damn good. 
really throughout the entire film. I mean, when you watch the way that they transformed into each other, it really is fascinating to see those differences happen right before your eyes as they're kind of trying to discover what's happening to them as well. It just seems so natural. Lindsay's performance in this movie has been endlessly praised. Same thing as The Parent Trap, and she really deserved it. Jamie Lee Curtis even pointed out during the promotion of the film that she thought Lindsay's role was a lot more difficult than her role because Lindsay's role is a little more subtle, whereas Jamie Lee got to go crazy, you know, as a teenager in her mom's body. Lindsay had to do a more detailed, nuanced performance to really come off as this 40-year-old therapist mom who's a rule follower and all of that kind of stuff. I especially love Lindsay's performance in the final act. I mean, it's really spectacular throughout, but I think in the final act, everything, once they get to the rehearsal dinner and they have the big musical number and then the speech scene at the end, I actually just watched this last week to refresh for this episode, probably the millionth time I've seen it. And I actually cried earlier than I do normally. I normally cry during the speech scene when they do end up switching back. But I actually cried during the the musical performance, which is just such a flawless scene. It's the perfect, perfect resolution to this entire situation. And it made me cry because I'm so close with my mother but we did have a rough patch when I was 16. And I think that's how old, I think Anna's supposed to be 15. But I mean, my mom is literally the person that I hang out with more than anybody else. We talk every single day. You know, we see each other all the time. We're very involved in each other's lives. And I can't imagine it being any different, but it used to be a little bit different. Like we were close when I was little. And then we did go through a rough patch during my teen years. And I did feel like she didn't understand me to an extent. And I also didn't really understand her at that time. And I just felt really close to it, I guess, because I love music so much and that's normally how I process my emotions. And I just could see in both actresses' eyes how much it meant to Anna that her mother pull this performance off because this is her dream and this is her one shot and how scared her mother is because her mother does love her and she wants so badly to pull off this performance, but she doesn't think that she can because she has no stage presence. She doesn't play the guitar and she feels like she's going to completely ruin this opportunity for her. And it just really moved me once they pull it off and they're relieved and like Jamie Lee's playing the guitar on the side of the stage and Lindsay's like dancing and her performance is so funny and so good here because she's trying to be cool and dance and act like Keith, but she's still like this kind of uptight mom. So she's dancing kind of like she's at, you know, a, a rodeo or something. Like it's just so funny. And it made me cry because it was just like the perfect catharsis for everything that had been happening the whole rest of the movie. You just feel the tension break in that moment and you're like, okay, they're not switched back, but they understand each other so much deeper and they have now this shared experience of getting through this performance that would have been like impossible to get through had they not put their differences aside and work together. It's just, it's just 
beautiful. The New York Times said, It's loud but never coarse, candid without being purient. Freaky Friday is a quick-witted, perfectly modulated family farce with a pair of beautifully matched performances from Ms. Lohan and especially Ms. Curtis, who does some of her best work ever. MovieWeb said, Jamie Lee Curtis and Lindsay Lohan managed to give the quintessential mother-daughter mental transplant performances of a lifetime in this new Freaky Friday. Their sheer chemistry and comedic timing saves what could have been another insipid dip in the septic tank of teen girl cinema. Ouch. Uh, <laughs> ouch to teen girl cinema, which is one of my favorite genres. This one climbs above the rest, outshining even its predecessors to come away the better of the three films. This revised adaptation of the Freaky Friday novel by Mary Rogers is nearly perfect in every way. There's something delightful locked in this tight treat for even the most cynical of critics. It is also important to note that this movie was written by two women, Heather Hawk and Leslie Dixon. And I had said how on The Parent Trap, Lindsay worked with Nancy Myers and later said how much that inspired her, that a woman directed that movie. And she later went on to work with a lot of women in her career, including on Freaky Friday. And I wonder how much of that was on purpose. I mean, I don't think that this necessarily was because I know Disney asked her to come in and audition for it, but I do think it's awesome how much girl power surrounds a lot of the movies that Lindsay has been involved with. Roger Ebert said that Heather Hawk and Leslie Dixon deliver scenes that we can anticipate but with more charm and wit than we expect. There is, for example, the case of Anna's flirtation with a slightly older boy named Jake. He rides a motorcycle, so of course Tess disapproves of him, but now Tess in Anna's body is inexplicably cold to the kid, while Anna in Tess's body is so delighted to see him that before long she's on the back of the bike and Jake is telling her he feels like they really understand each other and maybe the age gap can be overcome. Now I do want to talk about this aspect of the movie because as much as I love the film there are some problematic elements of it and I don't think that necessarily that part of the storyline is so problematic. It's played off as very jokey and silly and they do use it just to prove that Jake is actually a decent guy and is really falling for Anna's personality, right? Like, yes, he probably thinks that she's hot too, but even in her mother's body, he's still attracted to her. Now, not that Jamie Lee Curtis isn't attractive because she is, but obviously an 18-year-old guy is most likely not going to be going after a 40-something-year-old mother of two who's engaged to another man, you know? And I do think the scene is absolutely hilarious when he's singing Baby One More Time to her. It's just so inappropriate and cringy, but in a really, really good way. I just think it's so well done. The other thing I want to mention about it that is super problematic is the whole Asian Chinese magic element of it all. It is totally unnecessary. In the original Freaky Friday, the way that they switch places is just by the two of them saying at the exact same time. I think one of them is at home and one of them is at like the store or something and they just both say at the same time, I can't remember what it is, something like, I just wish I wasn't in my body anymore and that's what switches them. So the whole magical person of color trope that's in a lot of movies from back in the day is just not necessary. I also think Rosalind Chow plays Pepe and then her mother is played by Lucille Song in the movie and I actually love their dynamic and I think it mirrors the 
Anna and Tess dynamic in a really interesting way and had the racist element of it been removed it could have been actually really profound I think Rosalind and Lucille do such a great job with their performances they're so funny and I really apologize to anyone who might be offended by me saying that it's funny I'm just trying to give the actresses credit because I'm sure they weren't thrilled with those elements of the script and I don't blame them for taking the roles because I mean there were so few roles for Asian women at that time in Hollywood you basically had to take whatever you could get and I know that there are a lot of Asian actresses and actors that have struggled with that I just think it's really unfortunate that they like that they characterize them as so goofy but I also think that those actresses really did a great job with what they had like Rosalind Chow always makes me laugh when she's ignoring the fact that they already hired a caterer and the wedding is tomorrow and she's just like kind of ignoring (laughs) what Tess is saying and she's like okay I'll do it you know I think that that's really funny and I just think that they did a really good job with what they had it's a shame that these racist tropes had to be in this movie because I think without it this movie is basically as close to perfect as it could be and it makes me really sad that that is part of it so I did want to acknowledge that behind the lens also had very positive things to say about the movie saying that the key to the success of this film are Lindsay and Jamie Lee They said of Lindsay, a veteran of Disney adaptations having successfully tackled the Hayley Mills roles in Parent Trap, here Lohan gives us another meticulous, exacting performance with mannerisms and styling that make the character of Anna her own. Her masterful interpretation of Tess's stuffy micromanagement persona, from voice inflection to simple hand gestures, is frighteningly accurate yet funny especially when mothering her friends sheer perfection and then they put in parentheses Jodie who referencing of course the fact that Jodie Foster played Lindsay's character in the original film and that's a huge compliment because Jodie Foster is a very respected actress who's been around obviously so many decades and I just think it's really interesting that They're saying, once again, like a lot of people said, Lindsay was better than Hayley Mills had been in The Parent Trap, and now they're saying she's better than Jodie Foster, you know? I really don't know if people today, like Gen Z that are growing up and hearing about Lindsay, I don't know if they know like how far she fell from the gilded tier that she was on in Hollywood. Like people were up her ass so much. (laughs) Excuse my French, but like she really, really was just at the top of her game and doing so amazingly in this time. And I think that's why it was so heartbreaking for so many of her fans like me to see what she ended up going through later on. They went on to say, with a natural and nuanced ease, Lindsay just gets better with every role. And Jamie Lee Curtis, talk about a kid in a grown-up's body. This is her best role in years, and she plays it to the hilt. Whether motorcycle riding, playing guitar, making ugly faces, or just hanging out, she exudes the same kind of carefree joy, conviction, and all-out fun that we first noticed in Trading Places and a fish called Wanda. Great at drama, a master at campy horror, Curtis is indisputably at her best with comedy, and here she not only excels in the comedic aspects of the film, but she adds some emotional definition and dimension to the character as well oh my god I just had to read that whole thing because I love the positivity I am so sick of all the negative shit that I constantly read (laughs) 
That's why I stay away from reviews a lot of the time. I listen to my friends' reviews, but I generally don't go on these websites unless I'm doing an episode like this and looking back because it's just like so exhausting. I feel like every reviewer is trying to one-up each other on the nasty things that they can say about movies and actors and directors. And it's just so fun to read a just all-out rave like this about a movie that I have loved forever. In December of 2003, Freaky Friday was released to home video. Lindsay and Jamie Lee actually went out a second time to promote the DVD. Lindsay was also starting to promote Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen, which came out two months later. And she went on the Sharon Osbourne show. The actor and comedian Anthony Anderson was guest hosting for Sharon at the time and I just wanted to talk about this because it is one of the most disturbing interviews I have ever seen. I think the sexualization of Lindsay, mostly in 2004 after Mean Girls came out, is really disgusting, but this was even earlier than that. Lindsay is 17 at this time, so not only is she so much younger than Anthony Anderson, who was 33 at the time of this interview and had been already married for four years. She's underage. So when Lindsay greets him, he accuses her of kissing him on the lips with tongue, which she did not do. And then he says that he and his children love the parent trap, but she's grown up a lot since then. He continues to tease her, very similar to the way like a schoolboy teases a girl at recess that he has a crush on. Like it's very much sixth grade, eighth grade behavior coming from this grown man with the wife and children. He says things like he heard Lindsay's mad that he's hosting instead of Sharon because of course he wants Lindsay to go, no, 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 I'm happy you're here. Like that just age old game that men play that is so disgusting. Then he tells a bizarre story that is completely out of context about someone chasing him around with his quote, stuff hanging out, and Lindsay's like absolutely stunned. She can't believe that he's saying this. He asks her about living with Raven Simone and asks, how do you handle living with someone? You're both beautiful and you have your own style. It's like he just wants another moment to bring up, hey, I find you attractive, by the way, so if there's ever a chance in hell that you'll sleep with me, I just want to let you know (laughs) I'm open to that. And as a woman, I've had this happen to me so many times when I was underage and now it doesn't matter. It's just something that men do and it's just so vile that he's doing it on national television. He also gave her a pillow with his face on it which isn't that weird I mean Ellen always as a joke gives celebrities you know boxers that say Ellen or you know whatever the problem is that he starts his next sentence by saying so while you're entertaining me in your bed it's like any chance he gets to bring up sex or hitting on her he will and The audience is just laughing it up. I would literally be like Will Smith at the Oscars running up on stage and clipping this dude in the face. Like, how dare you? Now, aside from entertaining me in your room and in your house, what gentleman will be at the new pad with you and raven Simone? No one. Uh, uh, I'm just talking about, you know, like parties. No, I don't have a boyfriend. Hmm. (laughs) She's single, but looking. But I'm illegal for people that are old. Well, you know, some some men like them young. We ain't gonna mention no names, but, you know, I, I'm one of them. 
the way he just cackles in that clip like he is so hilarious is just so disgusting to me and I didn't want to play a clip any longer than that because the whole interview is just so disgusting and uncomfortable if you want to watch it it is available on YouTube and I just talk about this and the whole Donald Trump thing from earlier in the episode to let you guys know how inappropriate the dialogue around Lindsay was in 2003 and 2004. It makes it just even more understandable that she is someone that would turn to drinking and drugs. I mean it's really confusing for a young girl. You know, I remember at that age being kind of like creeped out by the male attention and I felt uncomfortable with it, but I also was kind of like liking the attention too. Like it's it's confusing for a 17-year-old girl, I think, because you don't want to be the girl in the corner who's invisible and no guys are talking to, but you also don't know how to handle it when a 30-something-year-old man is talking to you. I mean, we'll talk about this in the next episode, but Lindsay's Rolling Stone cover from... 2004 says I think it says like young hot and ready or like legal hot and ready or something and it's just so embarrassing especially for somebody who wants to be known for their craft and acting which is something that Lindsay stressed so many times and anytime people would be talking about her partying or you know her sexuality or whatever she would say something like oh you know I'm doing a movie with Meryl Streep soon or oh I just worked on a movie about Bobby Kennedy and Uh, oh, I just did a movie about John Lennon. Like she was trying to bring up these big names relating to these serious topics that she was doing movies about and people just didn't care. They just wanted to be like, wow, look at your boobs. I mean, it's so disgusting. In lighter news, Lindsay won the 2004 MTV Movie Award for Best Breakthrough Performance for this movie. She also won two Teen Choice Awards, one for Choice Breakout Movie Star and one for Choice Hissy Fit, which I think is so deserved because I love the way that Lindsay screams and does the whole teen angst thing in this movie. Very, very, very on point. Jamie Lee Curtis was also nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Actress, Musical, or Comedy. I really wish Lindsay had been nominated as well. But I think, you know, part of the dialogue around her kind of relating to people like sexualizing her and also putting her in this category of Disney family movie star, very strange paradox there, is like people weren't taking her as seriously as they probably did Jamie Lee Curtis. But I was happy that Jamie Lee was at least nominated for a Golden Globe because I feel like it gave a little bit more legitimacy to the movie. Remember when I said I thought there should have been some nominations for The Parent Trap as well. So I was happy at least to see that Jamie Lee was recognized. So as I said, Lindsay was starting to promote Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen around this time, which continued into the biggest year of Lindsay's career 2004. Just hear the hallelujah chorus. 2004. I mean, has there been a better year in the history of the world? No, there has not. So (laughs) she brought up confessions in a lot of her Freaky Friday interviews. She said, I get to sing and dance in my next movie, Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen. I do sing in it, but it's different singing. It's not like I'm going to go singing in every movie I do. I just want to say that now because then people are going to be like, well, does she need to sing in every 
every movie to make it work. It just so happened that there was singing in this script. The singing in this is more pop slash hip hop and there's dancing in it which I really wanted to show people that I can dance as well so that I can show people two different sides. So when I do come out with my singing then people can accept me as either or whichever way I decide to go. We're just having so much fun making this. We have a great director. She's a genius. Her name's Sarah Sugarman and my character she's really out there and she's really eccentric. Of course, Lindsay is talking about the icon, Lola Step, not to be called by her given name, Mary. Her name is Lola, okay? I think Lola is a great role model for kids because she shows you not to be afraid, not to be afraid of doing what you want to do and really go for your goals. And if you really want to do something, then you can do it if you just keep going for it and uh, not let anybody get in your way. I like that she was really independent in her own sense. Like she was she was eccentric and really artistic in her own way and she didn't really care what other people thought. She would wear what she wanted and didn't care what people would say about it. And I think that's a really good message because people get so self-conscious now and need to build up their confidence that like younger girls and stuff, if they see this movie and they see that they can dress the way they want and not care what other people think, then maybe it'll help them in the future when they're in school and they want to wear a certain thing and stuff like that. I love that Lindsay called the director a genius, Sarah Sugarman, so another female director. Love that. Sarah said of casting Lindsay in the role, she just got it. It was exactly how I imagined it on the page. Producer Robert Shapiro said, now Lindsay Lohan glows like a 500 watt bulb. She smiles and you smile and the world's okay. She's a teenager still and she's fun. And I think she just gets to that part of the Lola character. The screenplay was also written by a woman, Gail Parent, and it was based on Diane Sheldon's 1999 novel of the same name, Another Woman. So again, I just want to say I love that Lindsay has routinely worked with so many women in the industry, and I wonder if there's any connection there with like the predatory men that would tell her that she was hot and that they like them young and all that bullshit. You know, maybe she felt more comfortable working around women. I know that I certainly do. I love how ridiculous this character is and I love how ridiculous this movie is. This was not as universally praised and appreciated as Freaky Friday and The Parent Trap were and for a good reason. It's not as good as those two but I still really enjoy it. I enjoyed it as a kid and I rewatched it during the I think the first lockdown and uh, I was just loving every single second of it. That YouTuber I mentioned, Mariah Forbes, she did a great video analyzing all of the fantastic fashion in this movie, which is definitely a huge element of the story. I think the costumes will do it all. The hair, the makeup, the wardrobe is really a big part in this movie. I had fun with my clothes. I had fun with the insane way I looked and, and uh, it was play for me. I think my favorite outfit is the final performance, the hot pink satin matching bell bottom and tank top set that Lindsay wears. But honestly, there are so many incredibly creative outfits in this movie that are literally shown on screen just for one quick scene. But it still just tells you so much about Lola's character. And this movie will make you want to go to every thrift store that you can possibly find, dig through every bin, and find the most 
random items and then somehow be able to put them all together in this very cool way and the thing that's great about it is the confidence of the character like some of the outfits are actually terrible but it doesn't matter because it works on Lola she has so much belief in herself and what she's doing and her place on this planet and she sells whatever she wears and I just think that's a really good thing for young women to see because I know I personally I always felt different and I always kind of wanted to go the more artsy route of things and a lot of the time I felt misunderstood and a movie like this really would inspire me to be more like myself and be more comfortable in my own skin. I think fashion is such an amazing way to express yourself and this movie illustrates that perfectly. If you don't know, this movie is about a very overdramatic, interesting, fun, strange, weird liar <laughs> by the name of Mary who insists on going by the name Lola. She grew up in New York City and her parents split up so she moves to the Jersey suburbs with her mom and two twin sisters and she just considers that to be a huge death in her life because she doesn't want to be away from the culture and the music and the opportunities that New York City brings to her and even though the Jersey burbs are like 20 minutes away from the city she acts like she's moving to like middle America or something where she'll be thousands of miles away from it. Like I said, she's a drama queen. When she goes to her new school, she is immediately bullied, but she makes friends with one of the other outcasts, played by Allison Pill, who's really great in the role. I really enjoy their friendship and how it develops and how Lola helps her friend gain more courage and more self-esteem. This whole movie is, of course, such a fantasy, but I completely relate to it. I actually grew up in the New Jersey suburbs, very close to New York City, but it was kind of like NYC was like the Emerald City. Like I could see it from right across the river, but it was so close yet so far and I always wanted to be there. And Lola wants to grow up and be an actress and that's what I wanted to be and what I became. <laughs> and she's also obsessed with music and she's obsessed with this one band and I was exactly like that. When her favorite band breaks up and is planning to do a farewell concert, she goes on a hunger strike until her mother will let her go to the concert and then she just insists that she's going to meet the lead singer and hang out with him and of course there's that whole rivalry with the Megan Fox character that ties into it. About the character Lindsay said the part that stuck out to me the most about the story was how different Lola is. She's really interesting. As outgoing as she is she keeps a lot in and I think it's really good to see how her character develops throughout the story. Lindsay also made her first appearance on Letterman since she had been a little girl from the parent trap era. The difference in her appearance really is noticeable. I don't mean that in a sexualization type of way. I just mean she looks noticeably more adult than she did just like six months earlier. I think that she did go through a, a growth spurt. Instead of looking really pretty and cute in like a young kid kind of way, she looks just like gorgeous all of a sudden. Like she just kind of went like bam. And she just looks like such a movie star. And it's funny to hear Dave asking her about 
about like getting her driver's license and stuff because you do forget that she is 17. I'm not saying that it's appropriate for men to say disgusting comments to her, but she was just so popular and was about to become so powerful after Mean Girls did so well that it's just funny to think this is just like a 17-year-old high school girl. And, and you're uh, in, in high school? You're not in high school? You? I've just finished high school. I was homeschooled. homeschooled. Yeah, for wow. the last year. How did that go? It's, you know, it's, it's easier when I'm on the set and I'm doing homeschooling rather than going back and forth to school because right. it's hard not seeing my friends and then like not being ahead on the work and everything, so... And uh, do, will you, do you continue your education beyond this, or are you going to concentrate on films full-time now? I, well, I want to go to college. I mean, I think it's really important to have a great education and everything, and I want to either study entertainment law or completely different fashion. <laughs> Not sure yet. Oh, fashion. Yeah. Oh, that'd be great. Now, when, when you study fashion, what, what is that, like design, like outfits and... I, I don't know. Stuff? I'm not in college yet. Uh, <laughs> no, but the thing is, I want to focus on what's going on right now because this doesn't happen too often for people. Lindsay started dating Wilmer Valderrama around this time, and it's absolutely hilarious and also gross that she tries so hard to hide it because she doesn't really hide it very well. It's kind of like that trope when somebody's like, oh yeah, I definitely didn't crash your car earlier today. Definitely didn't do that. <laughs> like it's that kind of thing because interviewers will bring up dating and stuff and she'll be like, oh, you know, I can't, I can't really date because uh, I, I, you know, I like older guys, but that's illegal. So I can't, I can't date anyone. I'm not dating anyone older. Don't worry. I definitely don't have a 24 year old boyfriend. His name definitely isn't Wilmer Valderrama. So no worries. But but guys must be uh, interested in you, uh, lining up kind of interested in you. I haven't really experienced that yet, to be honest. <laughs> really? You, no. You've not experienced interest in, in boys on your behalf? That hasn't happened There's always a boy that you like, but there's nothing. Yeah, but aren't guys just, like, going crazy? Aren't, like, no. aren't, like, they're coming by your house by the truckload? No, guys of what age? I mean... Well, like your age. But at 17, girls like older guys. And at 17, you're too young for older guys. So there's nothing... You know what I mean? There's nothing that no, can... No, that didn't make any sense. <laughs> now, let's just no, say... It's, 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 no, Dave, it's no, illegal. No, no, you're, you're, you're 17. So you could go out with, like, a 17-year-old guy? Yeah, but, yeah, it's just... It's difficult to go out with 17-year-old boys sometimes. Really? Well, my brother's 16, and he's kind of immature. And I love him to death, mm -hmm. but... You know, 24-year-old guy is kind of like a 17, 18-year-old guy. Well, no, no, I'm, I'm not suggesting you go out with 24-year-old guys, for heaven's sake. I'm saying, like, age-wise, the way it works, mentally. I'm, conf I'm confused. I don't, I, don't, I don't know. Let's go on to another... All the guys are going to hate me now, Dave. Thanks. No, no. So that clip is an example of that. And you can just tell that, you know, Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen is a Disney movie and it is a very squeaky clean kind of deal. So you can tell that they sat down with her and they were like, you cannot be dating a 24-year-old man, which not bad advice, right? But of course they were coming from a marketing perspective and uh, it's just funny to me that she actually literally points out in interviews, you know, oh, I'm 17, Wilmer's 24, so we're obviously not dating because that would be illegal and I would never do that. And you know, meanwhile, at Lindsay's 18th birthday party, who does she walk the red carpet with? Hand in hand, Wilmer Valderrama. I somehow doubt that they started dating that day. So I think that they started dating right around the time of this press tour, which was February of 2004. 
She also did Regis and Kelly the next day and even the way that they talk to her, it's just so strange and inappropriate. This girl is 17. So please welcome one of Hollywood's rising young stars, Lindsay Lohan. Lindsay, every time Lindsay comes back, she's more and more a woman. Yes. She is. She's so hot. You're so hot. No, I'm not. Lindsay yes, Lohan, 17 years old from Long Island. It's just a shame that they address her that way, especially Kelly. I mean, you know, Regis, it's like we can only expect so much out of old white men. But Kelly's a woman. Like, I don't know. I just feel like there should be girl code with us. Like, I would never say to a 17-year-old girl, you're hot. Oh, my God, you're hot. Like, that just, I don't know. And it's a shame because Lindsay looks awesome on this appearance. She's wearing, like, this satin baby blue blazer with her hair pulled back in, like, a half pony and curled. And then she's wearing jeans and pointy baby blue shoes that match the blazer. It's a little bit of a different look for her at this point, And she just looks so, so good. And I just wish, as a woman, Kelly would have been like, wow, I love your outfit. You... You know, you've really grown up. You look like a woman now or something that was just like a little bit more, I don't know, like a, just a little less awkward than you look so hot. Because I really wonder how it messed with 17-year-old Lindsay's mind, you know, who has a brain that's still developing and trying to take in all of this craziness around her and this, you know, explosion of fame. And people around her are just focused on, oh my God, you're so hot. Really not a good look for all of these adults. Really not. But let's get back to this movie because I love it so much. And one of my favorite things about it, one of the things that does make it really unique is that there are full-fledged song and dance numbers, which is something that Lindsay had been wanting to do for a while. The director of the film said that Lindsay and Megan Fox were both great dancers and so they learned the dance dance revolution scene in about three hours. But as far as the musical at the end called Eliza Rocks, which is a modern day adaptation of Pygmalion, they actually took a couple of months in studio rehearsals the same way that they would if they were really doing this musical on Broadway or something. And I have to say that (laughs) when I watched this movie as a kid I didn't really think anything of it but as an adult who has a theater degree the amount of production value that this high school musical has is off the charts it's uber creative and I feel like you can just tell that all the adults working on this movie were kind of like kids in a candy store with this pretty decent Disney budget behind them, getting to do all the things that they probably couldn't do in theater school. A high school play, and most likely a college play, would never have the kind of budget that they have. I mean, for the costumes alone, it's crazy. But for a movie, obviously, they can do it. And I just love it, because you don't really see that type of production on a play in a movie. I don't know if people are going to categorize this as more of a chick flick. But it's okay if they do. And I think maybe boyfriends will take their girlfriends to see it. <laughs> it's a really fun movie, though, in its own way. And it's it's not too often that you see a movie that has a lot of music in it either. And I think it's really interesting to watch that. And I don't think it's very similar to anything else either. So I'm hoping people will enjoy it for what it is. And I had fun making it. If that shows through, then that's all that matters. 
it's just not that common and I feel like this was definitely a movie for us theater kids that do take what we do really seriously and it's like a lifestyle and it's just really fun to see what this musical culminates to at the end and I just love watching Lindsay dance and sing in this too. I love the audition scene where she sings that song Don't Move On. I'd like to sing a song by my favorite band, Sid Arthur. Don't move on, don't move on, don't don't move, don't move, don't move on. You brought me to the highest mountain. I think that she does a great job. And then, of course, during the final musical number, the song That Girl, that is just such an epic song perfect for the end of a movie I love Lindsay's energy like you can so tell that she's trying to be Britney so hard but like who among us wasn't trying to be Britney in 2004 who among us is still not trying to be Britney I mean I will always be trying to be Britney (laughs) I'll be on my deathbed still trying to practice the slave for you dance moves so like can't blame you Linz Also, the behind the scenes footage from them rehearsing is hilarious because I don't know, it's just funny for me to see big star Megan Fox in the back, like trying to learn the steps while Lindsay is up front. I don't know, I just think that's funny. It's always funny when somebody who became a big star later is like in the background of something. You're like, hey, there's that superstar. I actually think that Megan Fox did basically a perfect job in this movie. Like she played that high school bitch to a T, both in this movie and in the iconic Olsen Twins film, Holiday in the Sun, uh, another movie that was just snubbed for Oscars, you know? But I always die at the end when Carla, Megan Fox's character, has to play like the old lady and she has that like ratchet wig on. (laughs) Only time in her life Megan Fox has looked unattractive is that scene. Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen was released on February 17th, 2004. It debuted at number two at the box office behind the iconic 51st Dates and it did kind of modestly opening weekend, but it ended up grossing over 33 million worldwide on a $15 million budget. So I feel like people talk about this movie as if it was more of a bomb than it was. I think probably because the reviews were very mixed, leaning toward negative. And Lindsay's other movies around this time just did so incredibly well, were huge blockbusters, and were also reviewed very well. I think by comparison, you know, compared to Mean Girls and Freaky Friday, Confessions, it just didn't make that grade. But the thing about Freaky Friday and Mean Girls is that they were so huge that you can also make a movie several rungs down from that kind of success, and it's still successful. And so that is the tier that I put Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen on. Entertainment Weekly gave the film a C plus and said, Dear Diary, the truth is that there's nothing much to confess in the made-for-tweens comedy Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen. Lindsay Lohan, who honed her talent for playing a bossy hip chick in Freaky Friday, again plays a bossy hip chick, Lola, whose biggest tragedy in an otherwise charmed life is that her bohemian mother has moved the family from New York City to New Jersey. So Lola adopts the grating, sashaying demeanor of a big city sophisticate who has been airdropped into Hicksville. (laughs) 
With no Jamie Lee Curtis as a volleying partner, Lohan's chipper energy is like so totally out of proportion, giving the colorless pliability of everyone around her. That is a little harsh, although, you know, I have to agree compared to the casts of her previous movies, yeah, maybe this cast wasn't as strong, but I love Carol Kane as Miss Bagoli. I think she's so funny, like the way that she's so passionate about her musical as though it's like a Broadway show. Any theater kid has known directors like that and producers like that and teachers like that, that it's like, you know, I was always taught that, like, I don't care who you're performing for, what stage it is, how small the audience is, you act like that is the Beatles at Shea Stadium every single time you perform because you never know, you know, um, who's going to be watching. And also, if it's your passion, why not do it to the upteenth degree? And Carol Kane does a great job at like dramatizing that for comedic effect. Lindsay's performance is definitely on par with the things that she had done in the past, except for the fact that this script isn't as good as the Freaky Friday or Parent Trap script. It's still okay, like it's not terrible or anything, but Lindsay just doesn't have as much more nuance to this role as maybe she was able to add in the other ones. Like I just think when the script is stronger, the actress just is always going to shine more. I mean, you can't, I mean, if that isn't on the page, no matter how charismatic you are as an actress, you're not going to bring the same energy to a script that's not as strong. Like it just never gets super serious because it's supposed to be like a fun tween comedy film, you know? And that's why the reviews aren't great because there's definitely not as much in this movie for adults to enjoy. Even though all three movies, Freaky Friday, Parent Trap, and this one are all made for kind of family audiences, I think that this is definitely the one that adults are going to enjoy the least because it's the most made for a specific age group. Whereas I feel like Parent Trap and Freaky Friday, it's as if the creators were saying, yes, this is a family film for all ages, but we are not going to dumb it down to really silly jokes. And even confessions, like they don't go as low as a lot of kids movies do. Like there's no like fart jokes or like, you know, things like that. But I can see how this would be grading on like an adult to watch with their kid. I mean, not me, like I will definitely watch this with my kid, but you know, someone who's not like a theater kid or a drama queen themselves is definitely not gonna enjoy this movie as much as a 12 year old. And that's okay. Actually, when I was looking up the reviews for this movie, the Critics consensus on Rotten Tomatoes says confessions of a teenage drama queen's superficial tendencies are unlikely to appeal to older viewers, though its colorful candor is decidedly not intended for them in the first place. And I love that they included that because it has a 14% on Rotten Tomatoes, which that is crazy. It deserves at least like a 50% or something. But I always think it's hilarious when 50 year old men are contributing to these reviews like I get it 14 year old girls don't normally work for these newspapers but they should really have their kids or something weigh in because really who cares what you know some Karen thinks of the movie you know it's it's made for young girls and uh I loved it as a young girl and I still love it now. There's one review here by someone named Nick Shager and it says, mind-numbingly juvenile. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's juvenile. It's it's made for juveniles. So 
There you go. Kim Morgan of Real.com said, Implausibilities aside, Confessions is a light lark that's colorful, spirited, and chock full of clothes. Yeah, totally. I mean, hit the nail on the head there. Like, sure, it's implausible that with no connections, no ties, and no tickets, you'll get into your favorite band's last show and end up hanging out with the lead singer. But when it actually happens in the movie, it just fulfills that teen girl fantasy. I mean, as I said, I was obsessed with my favorite band at the time. And watching something like this just let me live out that dream through Lindsay Lohan in a fabulous pink sparkly dress. I mean, what could be better? Also, I do think that this movie does veer towards some deeper territory when they do get to meet their idol, the lead singer of this band, Sid Arthur, and he's a total mess. Lola deeply loves his lyrics and really connects to him on like a spiritual level. It's not like she's just like, oh, my favorite rock star is so hot or something. No, she truly loves him as an artist and she wants to sit and ask him questions about his lyrics and he's just like, I don't know what I was thinking when I wrote that. You know, it's kind of a commentary on the whole you should never meet your heroes trope because they're just people like you at the end of the day and no matter how amazing your art is, you can be just as messed up or stupid or thoughtless as the next person. So just kind of let your fantasy of them live on and not really experience the reality. And of course, it's, again, to use the word that that reviewer used, implausible that, you know, it seems like he cleans up as a result of like meeting this fan and everything. But I think those are the best young adult and teen movies are the ones that have a little dose of reality, but give you that fantasy. Because you know, when you're 14, you're not looking to watch the Shawshank Redemption. You know what I mean? You wanna... <laughs> You want to see Lizzie Lohan meeting her favorite rock star and then helping Megan Fox out of a fountain, you know? Kevin Thomas of the LA Times said, At a time when crassness and dumbing down pervade popular entertainment, especially movies aimed at youthful audiences, Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen dares to be smart. So I wouldn't exactly say that this movie is smart, but what it is is unique. As I touched on earlier and as Lindsay said in the interview clip I played, there really were not a lot of movies like this, and still to this day, there's not a lot of movies like this. I love the kind of unbridled way that they just totally leaned into this ridiculous character and this silly, fantastical type of plot, and they didn't reel it in at all. Like, if they did, you can't tell, <laughs> you know? It's just... It's just so fun and it doesn't seem like the type of script that was run through the studio a million times and watered down. It seems like the quirkiness in it did show through and with somebody as gifted as Lindsay, I just feel like the movie does really stand out among other teen movies of this time. It's a little more innocent than something like Mean Girls, but it's a little more interesting than something like the Lizzie McGuire movie. You know what I mean? It's kind of in the middle. It's the perfect thing for when I want to feel like I'm in eighth grade again. <laughs> All right, everyone, that is going to do it for Lindsay Lohan part three. I hope you enjoyed this deep dive into Freaky Friday and Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen too endlessly rewatchable movies please send me all of your thoughts and get excited because the next episode is drumroll please the mean girls era thank you so much for listening i really appreciate you being here and i'll see you guys then bye
Thank you so much for listening to the Ashley and Jessica cast. I'm your host, Leah Russo. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Capriya Moon. That's at C-A-P-R-I-A-M-O-O-N. And follow the podcast at Ashley and Jessicast on Instagram and at Ashley Jessicast on Twitter. Please let me know your thoughts on the show. I would absolutely love to hear Ashley and Jessicast at gmail.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. See you next time.